man, we see videos like that, and, and I don't know about you, but we can get excited on a video like that, but then we stop and think, are we settling for less than? And really what this series is trying to design to get us to think about is aspects of God's love so that we not just simply better understand how God loves us, but that we can better understand how we're supposed to love other people so that we literally can change the world. Not just believe it in an ideal sense, but we actually realize that we have the potential as this group of people to make a difference in Stockbridge and Guatemala and the world at large. So we're trying to, to look at aspects of God's love, and it all kind of comes down to, for me at least, one of the foundational truths that we're basing this series on is that we find in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. If you look on the screen, it says these words, Whoever does not know love does not know God, because God is love. Whoever does not know love does not know God, because God is love. So it's important for us, as followers of Jesus, to not just simply know about love, but to exhibit love. And what we looked at last week, if you were here, we looked at the forgiving nature of God. And my challenge to you was that God is a forgiving God. God forgives us of all the things that we do wrong, and so we, by nature, should forgive other people. Even when it's hard, difficult, we don't want to do it, we're called as followers of Jesus Christ to forgive other people. And then this week, we're going to look at a different aspect of God's love, and it's probably going to challenge many of us in an equally powerful way. Now, let me get to know you again a little bit. So how many of you would say you are competitive in nature? All right? So you want to win. Oh, please. Tell me there's more of you. Okay, you see, now we're starting like, okay, yeah, I'm really that person too. Okay, we want to win, right? I, I can tell you I don't want to lose. If you want to ask anybody whether that's true, ask my family. Um, I, I want to win at everything. I can assure you. And this is probably true for Latham, my oldest, rather than Lydia. Late, I've never let Latham win at anything. Um, I've never let him. I didn't say he didn't win. I said I never let him win. So when he was younger, I would beat him like a dog at games. Anything that we did, I would just I would wear him out, but I would never let him win. Now, Lydia, she's my angel. She's my little baby, so... I probably have let you win at things before, which probably irritated her brother even more. But, but he has since won and, and probably beats me like a dog at certain things now. And all of that, he knows that he wins when he wins. Um, I don't, uh, you may not like this about me, but I am a huge Will Ferrell fan. So I probably shouldn't go watch his movies. And I probably shouldn't laugh at them, but they're hilarious. And so I follow the philosophy of Talladega Nights where the quote is, if you're not first, you're last. And so I'm like, you're either first or you're the loser. And I don't want to be the loser. So this is kind of my mindset. But here's the problem. That competitive nature that many of us are, we let it spill over into other areas of our lives. And what happens is when we see somebody who's in need, we go, well, I'm too busy. I, I, I can't help them. To help my neighbor, that, to take up my own time, to take my own money, to, to go and spend a week of my vacation somewhere else, that's crazy. I would never do that. Even the message last week, you may have heard the message and stop and you may go, you know what, there is somebody deep in my heart that I'm holding on to forgiveness 
unforgiveness for, and you go, but you know what, I, I'm, I don't want to be the guy to let it go. I don't want to be the lady to let it go. I like holding on to my grudge because I want to win. And so that competitive nature can, can be dangerous. It can be harmful. If you look at Jesus' life throughout the Gospels, what you see Jesus do is continually seek after people with irrational acts of serving love. Irrational acts of serving love. So we're going to look at a story in John chapter 13. We're not going to get to the passage yet, but if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to John 13, you can go ahead and be there. Or if you put it on your phone, you can go ahead and get to it. John chapter 13. But I want to set up the context of this. The context of this is, this is the right before Jesus is going to be crucified. So it's the day before he's with his disciples. He's with his closest friends. He is with the people that he has spent the last three years investing in, teaching, trying to make sure that they get it. He wants to make sure that they understand what is happening and what they're to do about it. And he knows that tomorrow he's going to die. Can you imagine the emotion that he feels in that moment? The, the urgency to make sure that, that they understand. And so in John chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, we read these words. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And then notice this. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Let's unpack that for just a moment. It says that he, he loved them to the very end. Jesus is about to give his life. Think about what's happened in the past week. Jesus came into Jerusalem on Monday. He goes to the temple. He sees all the things that are taking place in the temple, that they're not being worshipful to his father. And so he turns the tables over and, 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 and upsets the apple cart, so to speak. And then on Tuesday... He gets into this big argument with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Wednesday, we really don't know what happens on Wednesday. And then Thursday, he gathers with his disciples in this secret room, in this upper room, to spend time with them and share a meal with them one last time. And knowing that on Friday, he is going to, to suffer the crucifixion. He's going to be beaten and mocked and spit upon. And they're sitting around the table, knowing all that's happened and all that's fixing to happen. They're sitting around the table, and the disciples begin to talk to each other, and the disciples' competitive nature begins to kick in. Who do you think Jesus likes the best? Who do you think's the greatest? Where, where do you think Jesus would rank everybody? Where do you think I fit into that? And John probably says, well, he calls me the beloved, so certainly he would think that I'm the best one. And Peter says, yeah, but I walked on water. You didn't. You, got in, you stayed in the boat. And John says, yeah, but you sank. And then you stop and you go, and Bartholomew kicks in and goes, but no, it's probably me that's the most important. And they go like, we don't even remember your name. So it certainly can't be you. And Jesus is hearing all of this discussion. Jesus is listening to all of this, and he has to be thinking in his mind, you're not listening to what I said. Because if you remember Jesus' words in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, the greatest among you is a servant. Jesus said, I came so that not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve. That the greatest way to show love to the end is to be a servant. So he looks around the room at his disciples. He, he sees their proud hearts. He sees the pride that's inside of them. And then in a quick observation, he sees their dirty feet. 
And Jesus says, I can do that. Listen to how the story keeps going in verses 4 through 5. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Why did he wash their feet? He looked around, he saw their proud hearts, and he saw something that he could do. Something that would help teach them the, that the greatest is the servant. See, it was customary in their day. I mean, like, if you, if you were coming over to my house, let's just say, for instance, it was pouring down rain, and you had a raincoat on, and you ran into my house, you would expect me to probably say, can I take your coat? Something. Can I have your umbrella? Do something with it. In Jesus' day, they walked around in the dirt. They had open-toe shoes. Their, their feet were dirty. And so the common custom would be when you walked in, you would be greeted on your, uh, with a kiss on your cheek, and then somebody would say to you, would you like to have your feet washed? Now, here's the important part for us to also understand is the host would never wash your feet. It would never be the host's job because that was beneath the life of a host, right? The host would never be the one that would actually do it. It was actually kind of pumped you up a little bit when you would be able to say that I have somebody whose role, that's what their role is, is to wash your feet. And so I want to let the servant do that. It would be the lowest servant possible. That's who's going to do it. And, and, and here's the thing. Is we get this. I set this up today because I'm hoping that some of you walked in here and thought, what's he about to do? Uh, is he fixing to have me wash my feet? Because as soon as, I, as soon as you have that in your head, most of you are going to kick into, when was my last pedicure? Um, what, what, what do my feet look like and smell like? I mean, that's what we're going to be thinking. I, I, my, my joke around the office this week is I tell them, my wife loves me from the top of my head to the bottom of my ankles. Um, <laughs> Because, again, too much information to know, but my feet stink. And so she knows that. And so you, you, it's just, that's just your natural reaction is we get that this would be the job of the lowest person. And so Jesus is with his disciples on that final meal trying to show them love to the end. And he gets up and he takes the role of the servant, the lowest servant, pours water into a bowl, And begins to wash their feet. He begins to show them that the greatest thing is to be a servant. You know in their head the same reaction that we would have would be like, no, he's not going to do that. He's Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, who do, you, who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. You're, you're the Son of God. You're the Alpha, the Omega. You're the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Certainly, you're not going to wash my feet. The greatest among you is a servant. The greatest thing that we can do as followers of Jesus Christ is be servants. Jesus knelt down and began to wash their feet, began to do something that would be unexpected. Let me challenge you. If we want to show the love of God to the world around us, train yourself, discipline yourself, wake up every day and say, God, show me an opportunity to be a servant show me an opportunity open my eyes to the world around me open my eyes to the people that I would pass by and not even look at open my heart to hear the the, the hurting cries of my neighbors give me a heart of compassion and love and here's what I found when you do that 
God will give you opportunities. God will show you opportunities to serve. And here's the other thing that I have found, is when those opportunities come, most of the time, they're going to come in a time in your life where you're going to go, I'm too busy. I'm too important. I, I don't have time to stop and help. VBS this week was crazy, and Tuesday we got through with Vacation Bible School. We had our first staff meeting as a group, and, uh, and then after the staff meeting, I took my daughter Lydia to my mother-in-law. She's now moved into uh, Golden Crest, assisted living over in Eagles Land, and I took her to hang out with her uh, grandmother, and then I came back and met with uh, Chad and Adam. We did some worship design and things like that, so we got through that day. I was riding back over to pick up Lydia, and I was in my head thinking, okay, i got to go get Lydia. i got to get on the road. If you all know anything about Interstate 75, it's just a nightmare between here and Cartersville any time of the day. And so I was thinking, okay, i got to get on the road. And I'm driving down Rock Quarry Road, and I came across, as I was driving down the road, there was a lady, she was probably about 75 years old, that was walking in the grass, a little unstable. Um, and I passed by. It was the heat of the day. And again, I tell you the good and the bad. In my head, I thought, I'm too busy. I got to get my daughter. I got to get on the road because I'm going to get stuck in traffic on 75. And then God was like, what are you preaching on? And so I went and stopped and listened, and I thought, okay. Uh, so I pulled over and waited for her to get to where I was and, and asked her. And she didn't have a phone. She ran out of gas. I had not even noticed her car. Um, and I was able to get her taken care of. But the, the point of that was those opportunities are going to come, and it's going to challenge you to push yourself to go, I'm too busy. I, I don't have time. But God calls us to be a servant. And what happens is you begin to open up your eyes to those opportunities, and then somebody calls you and says, hey, I'm going to be sick. And you go, I mean, I'm sick. And you go, well, can I take you a meal? Or you're walking through the church parking lot and you see trash on the ground and you go, you know what, I can do that. I can pick that trash up. It doesn't have to be somebody else's job. You hear that there's a baby that needs to be held in the nursery and you go, you know what, I've held a baby before. I can do that. You stop and you hear about uh, family promise and you stop and go, okay, I, I've got quarters in my pocket. I can take those quarters and put them in that bucket. I can do that. Because we're servants for Jesus Christ. One of the things that you're going to hear me preach over and over again is we are not volunteers because a volunteer can do it when you want to do it. A volunteer can be a convenience. You can say, you know what, I, I, we're servants of Jesus Christ. And so are you a taxi cab? Today I am. Are you a garbage man, a garbage woman? Today I am. Are you a person who holds babies? Today I am. Because I'm a servant for Jesus Christ because the greatest among you is a servant. That's what Jesus teaches us. It's not about just our actions. It's about our attitudes. Here's the truth. We don't serve because that's what we do. We serve because we are servants. As if, you, if you profess Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, we are called to be servants of Jesus Christ. We're not called to just do it because that's what we do. We're called because that's who we are. I watched this week as those who were around Vacation Bible School, you watched and saw people getting up and, and, and coming in here. My daughter would get up at 5 o'clock because we had the two-hour commute to get here. My daughter doesn't get up for 5 o'clock for anything, right? Amen. And so but we did that because we're servants. 
And let me tell you something. If you sit here today and you have children, you have grandchildren, and you want them to have some sort of a service connection, you need to let them see you serve. If you want the next generation to be servants, you need to let them see you serve. You need to model it. We are servants for Jesus Christ. What happens is, is when you, then when you become 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, whatever it is, young and old, all of a sudden you realize, you know what? You are empowered. You, you have gifts. One of the things that I hate that we say, and, and if you're a young person, I apologize for anybody who's ever said this. Sometimes we say, you're the future of the church. You're not the future of the church. You're the present of the church. You are able to be used by God in amazing ways. And so young and old, each one of us, we all have our gifts. We are all called to be servants. And if we want the next generation to do it, we have to model it for them. Because then what happens is all of a sudden we realize we're the church. Look around this morning. We are the church of Jesus Christ. I hear people, and and I'm sure I will hear it at Cartersville. When you go out and you're a pastor, here's what happens is you run into somebody who doesn't go to church and you say, oh, what, what, do, you, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. Well, I'm looking for a church. Uh, that, it, it happens everywhere. I'm looking for a church. I've been to 14 churches that I haven't yet found one that meets my needs. And I want to scream to them, so I'm going to scream to you for them. I want to scream to them, we, we are not the church for us. We are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. We are the church. And we exist for the world. We exist for the world. We exist to meet the needs of the world. And if you're sitting here this morning and this is your church and this is where you grow, this is where you fellowship, this is where you connect into the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, and you're not serving, you are selling yourself short because Paul tells us that we're all gifted and that we are one body, and that each of us complements the other, and together we make the whole stronger. Don't sell yourself short. What do you get? I'll tell you what you get. When you pray for somebody, you realize that you made a difference in their life because you brought them before Jesus Christ. When you help somebody get gasoline in their car, they don't have to know why you did it, but you know that you did it in the name of Jesus Christ. I did in vacation Bible school. I was blessed. They let me do some skits. And so we would do skits every morning where I got to, to play a character. That was really my only interaction with the children. Friday at closing ceremonies, this one little boy, I don't know his name, he ran up and gave me the most genuine hug and said thank you why do you do it because at the end of the day you know you serve Jesus Christ you helped people connect to the love of God we're all called to be servants and what happens when you begin to serve other people is it begins to change you. Remember last week I told you when you begin to pray for your enemies, the first person that's changed is you. When you begin to serve other people, the first person that changed is you. And then as a transformed person in Jesus Christ, you begin to change others. If you sit here this morning and you're struggling in your marriage and you want your marriage to be stronger, begin to serve your spouse.
If you want your relationship with your parents to be stronger, begin to serve your parents. If you want the relationship with your children to be stronger, begin to serve your children. If you want relationship with God to be stronger, begin to serve his people. If you want your relationship with the church to be different, begin to serve in the life of your church. You are called, as a, messen- as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to be servants. Jesus says it's the greatest way to express your love to the end. Jesus was the King of kings. He was the Lord of lords. He was the Alpha and Omega, and he could have served. He could have called for everybody to serve him, but he didn't. He chose to express it by saying, that's something I can do. I challenge you to stop and ask, what is it something you can do? I am naive sometimes in my approach. My wife calls me Polly Andy uh, when I look at things. Here, here I, I, I make no, this is my goal. My goal is for every person who regularly attends or is a member of Stockbridge First to serve. Some way, somehow, in the life of our church. Looking for what you can do. If you can hold a door, you can be a door greeter. If you can run a computer, you can help with production. If you can carry a tune, you can sing. I I can't carry a tune. You don't want me to sing. There are limitations to what we're able to do. But But you can be a servant of Jesus Christ. What is God calling you to do? What I do know, without a shadow of a doubt, God's calling you to serve. He says it's the greatest way. The greatest among you is the servant. Be a servant this morning. Let's pray. Most gracious God, I thank you. I thank you for the people who have gathered in this place today. I thank you for the opportunity to to lead this church. And Lord, I, I look around the room this morning and I see the faces of people that you are calling to get involved and to serve your mission. May we never make this place about us. May we never make it about our needs. But may this place be a place where we are concerned with the needs of other people. Give all of us eyes to see those that we overlook and ears to hear the people in pain. Help us serve. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.